0: Can't Wait for Christmas is a proud member of the Christmas Podcast Network. Check out all the shows on the network at christmaspodcastnetwork.com.
1: Hey buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> welcome
0: to the can't wait for christmas Podcast.
1: <laughs> it's november 25th 2021 and that means there's only one month left until christmas Today on the show, we'll explore the life and career of the Queen of Christmas, Mariah Carey. We'll also get a recipe all the way from Sesame Street. We'll count down the top five holiday travel tips, and we'll find out what you think makes a great gift in our latest season's musings. Okay, let's start the show. <laughs> Gobble, gobble, you Believers. It's Thanksgiving here in the Christmas Cave. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade should start in a few hours, and as soon as Santa shows up, Christmas season has officially begun. Which is appropriate, because we have another harbinger of Christmas on the show today. We're going to talk to the one and only Mariah Carey. Why did you do that? Oh hey imaginary listener! sounds kind of like Kermit the Frog Why'd I do what? That weird thing with your fingers when you said talk I know what you're talking about I'm super excited to share this interview I did with Mariah Carey with our listeners You did it again on the word interview What's going on? I don't have time for all these questions frog voiced boy I need a little Christmas, now
2: We need a-
1: All year, it is 2020 yum on the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast, which means every Needle of Christmas Now tip this year will be a recipe for you to feed your love of Christmas as well as feed your literal self. We also have another tradition on this podcast. Every November, we take some time out to celebrate the wonderful brainchild of Jim Henson, the wonderful Muppet creations, and their many Christmas adventures. It's a time of year we've dubbed Muppet Vember. So I found out there was an old golden book called A Sesame Street Christmas published in 1982 that has many stories and activities in it, including some recipes from our old pal Bert. The trouble was tracking copy down. Uh, My local library didn't have it. Local bookshops around here didn't have it. So I had to go to eBay. And fortunately, I did find a copy and got it sent to me. Unfortunately, it was the 1987 version of the book. And this was an abridged version that was actually narrated by Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch. Unfortunately, it was not containing the recipe that I needed to use for today's podcast. So, I went back to eBay and found another copy of it, and it got here just in time for me to record this episode. So here it is, a nearly 40-year-old recipe from the Sesame Street Archives. So the recipe is for Bert's Aunt Willie's Crispy Oatmeal Cookies. For this, you'll need one stick of butter, one-third cup of sugar, and -and two-and-a-fourth cups of oats. What you want to do is preheat your oven to 325, then get the butter soft by leaving it at room temperature. Once it's nice and squishy, you put all the ingredients in a bowl and you knead them until they're all blended together. Then you roll the dough into balls about the size of walnuts. Flatten the balls until they're nice and thin. Bert recommends using the backside of a fork. Transfer the flattened dough balls to an ungreased baking sheet and bake for eight minutes or until golden brown. And there you go. Now you've got some cookies and you can virtually celebrate Christmas with the Muppets of Sesame Street from the past. Now, I know firsthand how hard it is to get your hands on this recipe, so I'll be sure to take a picture of this, post it on my Instagram, and put a link to that post in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And now it's time for our countdown segment, Five Golden Things. Bye. Holiday travel. It's something a lot of us do every year. But with the lockdown last year, some of us might be a little out of practice. So when I stumbled upon this article from TravelAndLeisure.com that had seven tips to travel better this holiday season, according to experts, I thought I'd share my top five of these top seven with you. Starting with... Number five. Bring a spare change of clothes in your carry-on. This is great advice when traveling anywhere, but especially during the holidays. There's a chance you can get stuck with just your carry-on, so it's good to have a fresh set of clothes so you're not limited to the clothes on your back. Number four. Take advantage of dead weeks for discounted airfare. So if you're trying to save money, you don't have to travel during the holidays. If you adjust your schedule by a few weeks, you could take advantage of deals running after the holiday rush is over. Number three double check admission hours for attractions. A lot of places will have their hours posted on a website or something, but keep in mind the holidays can often alter those hours. So make sure to call and confirm the place you want to go will be open when you want to go there. Number two, Research COVID-19 restrictions before booking and again before traveling. This is definitely something I'm doing. My family and I are headed to Hawaii after Christmas, and there are a lot of hoops to jump through to make sure we're COVID guideline compliant when we do. So we've definitely been keeping up to date on what steps we need to take before we go. And now, the most important item I saw on this list, number one, be kind to airline and airport staff. I covered this a bit last year when I did my episode saluting all the people who work on Christmas, but I can't stress enough how much the people helping you achieve your holiday deserve your kindness and courtesy. And I actually have a cousin who's a flight attendant, and uh, we were talking and he mentioned that one of the things you can really do to show the flight attendant some respect is to actually make eye contact during that safety instructions. Look, they know you know how to put on a seatbelt, but it's about more than that. So just look up and act like you're paying attention. I actually asked him for additional tips on being a good traveler, and he said, keep your mask over your nose, and don't take your mask off to talk. It defeats the whole purpose of having a mask. He also said, don't poke us, which I'm a little sad that's even a thing we have to tell people. Don't poke anybody, especially flight attendants, but just don't go around poking people. Then he said, get to the airport early. There will be lines of security, lines for food, lines for coffee. And he also mentioned that there are usually menus in the seat back pocket, so look it over. And that one really makes sense because if everyone makes the flight attendants list all the beverage and food options, it's going to take forever for them to get down the aisle and service the whole plane. He also said to remember that most domestic airlines don't have blankets or pillows anymore. So remember to bring some or a nice comfy sweatshirt. And finally, he says, just say hello, please, and thank you. Be courteous and use manners and enjoy your flight. So thank you to my cousin, who I won't name in case his airline has rules about speaking to the media, which I guess technically this podcast is. And that's my list. You can read all seven tips, plus the commentary that Travel and Leisure gave, in their article, which I've linked in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. And now a word from one of the other Christmas podcasts and the Christmas Podcast Network.
3: If you've ever wondered about the history of Santa Claus, the traditions behind a Christmas tree, or what people leave out for Santa in Eastern Europe, then you're probably a lot like me. My name's Jeff, and I absolutely love Christmas. Join me on the Lost Christmas Podcast and learn about the people, traditions, mysteries, food, celebrations, and all manner of history around the holiday season we all love. At the end of each episode, I also read a little bit from the lost years of Santa Claus a book which fills in the gaps that we have in the story of our beloved gift giver.
1: Welcome back. I'm going to play 13 notes for you that are sure to get you in the Christmas mood. Yep, that's the opening to the all-time Christmas hit, All I Want for Christmas Is You, sung by the one and only Mariah Carey. Sounds a lot like Mr. Sandman. What? That tune. It sounds a lot like the opening to Mr. Sandman by the Cordettes. Listen. Hey, 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 hey! Can you not right now? I'm in the middle of introducing our celebrity guest. You did the weird quotation fingers thing again. Don't worry about what my hands are doing. It's a podcast. No one can see me. I'm just worried you're setting people up for some sort of disappointment. Enough! Let's get back to All I Want for Christmas is You. This song is such a holiday classic that it feels like it's been around forever, but it's only been around for 27 years. And while it's one of her most popular songs, did you know that Mariah Carey has had many, many others? Yes, Mariah Carey has had one of the most successful careers in music, up there with the Beatles, Elvis, and Michael Jackson. So let's take a look at the woman behind Christmas's most ubiquitous song. Was born in Huntington, New York, in 1969. Mariah's mother was white, and her father was black, and this did not sit well with her mother's family. To put it mildly, Mariah's mother was disowned by her family because of who she married. Mariah has spoken about how she wasn't really accepted by either community. White people didn't accept her because she was black, and black people didn't accept her because she was white. As a biracial person myself, I can somewhat relate to this. I even used to have a bit in my act that talked about the struggles of fitting in when you're not quite one thing and not quite the other. But this was no laughing matter for Mariah Carey and her family. People in her neighborhood poisoned her dog and set their car on fire. In her book, The Meaning of Mariah Carey, she talks about how even with her own family, her home life wasn't the greatest. The word dysfunctional gets thrown around a lot, but I think it applies pretty well in this situation, which may explain why she escaped into music. Her mother was a retired opera singer and vocal coach, and Mariah was singing before she could even talk. In high school, she would often cut class to sneak off to New York City and write music for her demo tape. And while I can't recommend that action for anyone else, it certainly paid off for Mariah, as a couple of those songs on that demo tape will later go on to be number one hits for her. I
2: have a vision of a all that you've
1: given to me. Once she graduated high school, she moved to New York City and got many part-time jobs while continuing to work on her music. She was able to get work in the industry, including work as a backup singer for Brenda K. Starr. This would actually end up being the major turning point in Mariah's career. Starr was impressed with Mariah's voice and liked her demo tape. Once, while at a party, Starr gave the tape to Columbia Records producer Tommy Mottola, who listened to it on his limo ride home. He was so impressed, he had the limo turn around and head back to the party to talk to Mariah. Unfortunately, she had already left. But within weeks, he signed her to Columbia in December of 1988. Fittingly, just in time for Christmas. Her first album was released in 1990. It was creatively titled Mariah Carey. And to promote the album, Mariah did a brilliant one two punch of promotional performances. First, she appeared on the Arsenio Hall show to sing Vision of Love. Then, she performed America the Beautiful before Game One of the NBA Finals and made quite an impression.
4: Now has a queen, and the goosebumps will continue from Auburn Hills. Game one, Detroit and Portland. We'll see you on the other side.
1: Vision of Love went to number one in the Billboard Top 100, along with three other songs on the album, making Mariah the first artist since the Jackson 5 to have their first four singles make it to number one. The other songs that hit number one were Love Takes Time, I Don't Wanna Cry, and one of my personal favorites, Someday. This song really demonstrates one of the things that really made Mariah stand out as an artist. Those vocal gymnastics, as some called them at the time, were amazing. I know firsthand how difficult those notes are to hit, because I was at a party in the ninth grade, and girls were singing along to that song, and they all tried to hit that high note in Someday. Let me tell you, it was the audio equivalent of a train wreck on top of a dumpster fire. Now, it was pretty common if you have a hit album to go out and promote it on a tour. But instead, Mariah went back into the studio so she had a new album to release the next year. Emotions came out in 1991. With the title track Emotions, she became the first ever artist to have their first five singles reach number one. But sales for the Emotions album weren't as good as her debut album. Mind you, they were still pretty good. And the lack of a concert tour had people in the industry saying Mariah was just an overproduced artist who couldn't really perform live. To put those naysayers to rest, she went on the acoustic program MTV Unplugged in 1992. Not only did she prove she was just as talented live as she was in the studio, she would also earn another number one hit with her cover of the Jackson 5 song, I'll Be There. But then it was back to the studio again, so the next year she could release yet another album, Music Box, and with it, two more number one hits Dream Lover and Hero.
2: hero
1: Music Box went on to be Mariah's best selling album. So how do you follow up millions of albums being sold and eight number one hits in five years? A Christmas album. And now, that was certainly not conventional wisdom at the time. Normally, a Christmas album is something you do towards the end of your career. Basically, you owe the record company another album, so you slap together a bunch of public domain Christmas songs and call it a day. But this was Mariah Carey at the height of her fame, and she created some new Christmas songs to go along with the classic carols. Plus, although there were some secular songs on the album, more than half of the tracks are actual religious Christmas music, including a track called Joy to the World that combines a classic Christmas song with the Three Dog Night song of the same name. Dog. content got the attention of a lot of people who wouldn't normally have listened to mariah's music and a year later she continued to expand her audience by adding more hip-hop to her sound in the album whoa whoa whoa, whoa. what's the matter now you're just gonna move on yeah there's a lot more of mariah's career to cover we're only in 1995 did you forget what song was on that 1994 christmas album no, but don't you think that's one of the things I'm going to ask Mariah about? Why do you keep making quotation fingers? Anyway, back to 1995. If you saw the Ryan Reynolds movie Free Guy earlier this year, then you heard the song that kicked off her daydream album, Fantasy. <laughs> is where the push and pull between Mariah and Columbia Records starts to show a bit. Columbia really wanted Mariah to fit into that pop princess box, but Mariah wanted to add much more to her sound, including R&B and hip-hop. She even had Sean Combs produce the song, and got ODB to do the remix, which became hugely popular as well. Me and
2: Mariah Go back like babies were pacifiers right. Old dirt Dog, no cool. Keep fantasy hot like fire <laughs>
1: Fun fact, I used to date a girl named Mariah, and when I first met her, the first thing I said to her was, Me and Mariah, go back like babies and pacify She apparently had never heard the song and looked at me like I was nuts. Come on, man, we're still in the mid-90s. You gotta keep it moving. Right. Sorry. So, with Daydream, Mariah earned three more number ones Fantasy, Always Be My Baby, and her collaboration with Boys to Men, One Sweet Day, which spent a record setting 16 weeks at number one. continued to push for more r&b and hip-hop in her music and after her divorce from producer tommy mottola it seemed she was clawing some more creative freedom to do what she wanted with 1997's butterfly mariah earned two more number one hits my all and honey then came a little animated movie called prince of egypt as was the style in the 90s they wanted to do a radio version of one of the songs to play over the credits so they asked mariah carey to sing a duet with whitney houston Mariah had been compared to Whitney a lot in her career, and the media had built up a rivalry between the two of them. But apparently, that didn't exist. When asked about the collaboration, Whitney said, "'I enjoyed working with her very much. Mariah and I got along very great.' We had never talked and never sung together before. We just had a chance for a camaraderie, singer to singer, artist to artist, that kind of thing. We just laughed and talked and laughed and talked and sang in between that. It's good to know that two ladies of soul can still be friends. We talked about doing other things together, enterprise-wise, which is cool, because she's got a good, vivid mind, that girl. She's a smart lady. I really like Mariah. However, creative disagreements with her label continued, and her next album, 1999's Rainbow, would be her last with Columbia Records. But not before scoring two more number one hits, making her the only lead artist to have a number one hit every year for 11 consecutive years. No one has done that before or since. Unfortunately, this is where things take a turn. After Mariah signed a $100 million deal with Virgin Records, she took on her first major acting role playing the lead in the film Glitter, as well as providing its soundtrack. When early reviews of the film were bad and the first single from the soundtrack underperformed, Mariah felt her team wasn't doing enough to get potential audiences engaged, so she pulled off what she later called a stunt gone awry on TRL. Oh, sorry young people, TRL was short for Total Request Live, a show on MTV where they would play the most requested music videos of a day. You know, back when the M and... MTV stood for music instead of mindless. Anyway, Mariah appeared to crash the show with an ice cream cart handing out ice cream to the audience, which seemed to catch host Carson Daly completely off guard. And the media has a field day making jokes about the incident. Then the label wanted Mariah to film a video for the second single from the Glitter soundtrack, but she was exhausted and tried to hide out at a friend's house. But then her brother took her back to her mother's house where Mariah and her mom got into an argument and her mother called the police. Mariah was taken to a rehab center and later went into therapy to deal with a lot of the issues. like her controlling mother, abusive siblings, toxic ex-husband, just to name a few. Plus, she was also diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And while she was able to work through these issues, the damage was already done. The media had already labeled her crazy. Glitter flopped, and Virgin Records famously paid her millions of dollars to release her from her contract. Despite reaching heights most artists can only dream of, people were already starting to write Mariah off. But Mariah wasn't ready to give up. After signing a new deal with Island Records, she released the album Charm Bracelet in 2002. And while the album got a lukewarm reception, her next album, 2005's The Emancipation of Mimi, put her back on top. The album was often referred to as Mariah's comeback and became the top-selling album of 2005, earning her two more number one singles, Don't Forget About Us and We Belong Together. She followed up The Emancipation of Mimi with E equals MC squared in 2008, which was meant to be a continuation of the themes expressed in The Emancipation of Mimi. And while some critics said the albums were too similar, it did earn her another number one hit, Touch My Body. That brought her total to 18, and that tied her with Elvis for being the solo artist with the most number one singles ever. But would she be able to top the King's record? Well, her next four studio albums didn't get her another number one hit, but then a Christmas miracle happened in 2019. 25 years after its release, All I Want for Christmas Is You hit number one and stayed there for three weeks. It is the longest time period between a song being released and it hitting number one, and it made Mariah Carey the solo artist with the most number one singles in history. So, I thought we should ask Mimi herself to tell us more about this legendary Christmas song. So, let me punch up the Christmas Cave communicator to talk with her now. Mariah Carey, thank you for joining me today. <laughs> thank
0: you. <laughs> I'm glad to be here.
1: I have to admit when I reached out to your people, I didn't expect you to come on to a comedy Christmas podcast. I appreciate you as as an
0: incredible um comedian and I, you know, such a brilliant person, but also
1: I appreciate stand-up and I appreciate like, watching you. Wow, that's, that's amazing. I didn't even know you were one of the 12 people who've seen my stand-up. That kind of compliment seems like it's more suited to someone like Trevor Noah as a completely random example. But to get back on track, I was just talking about how All I Want for Christmas is You went number one in 2019. Can you tell us what that felt like, hitting number one after all those years? And please try not to say last year when you mean two years ago. It, the the
0: thing about all I want for Christmas is you is that it's the first Christmas song I ever wrote, and I you know obviously I love Christmas, um, and <laughs> it it went to number one on the holiday chart almost every year, but actually like more weeks at number one on the holiday chart than anything. But it had last year. Courtesy of the Lambs, my fans, it went to number one on the actual Billboard Hot 100, which, you know, you're competing with people that just started, like, less than a year ago, and it it became the last number one of 2019 and the first number one of 2020. So it, it kind of was very, I mean, look, I I
1: can't even explain how great it felt i think i may have jinxed you with the whole last year thing but uh, tell me a bit about when you were coming up with the song did you think it would have the staying power and it'd be so popular so many years later
0: no because here's the thing i i had never done this was like in the beginning of my career and i had only done like i think two albums really at that point, and maybe, like, in the MTV Unplugged EP, but...
1: Technically, you'd done four albums. Mariah Carey, Emotions, MTV Unplugged, and Music Box. I just covered this a few minutes ago. Stop mansplaining Mariah's albums to her. She's the best-selling female artist of all time. Maybe just let her talk. Right, right. Sorry, Mariah. Uh, please continue as if we hadn't interrupted at all.
0: The label was like, why don't you do a Christmas album? I don't know if they were just like, we don't know how long this thing's gonna last do a Christmas album and I felt like it was too soon because growing up, it was always like people did that later on, you know what I mean? And then I said, I love Christmas a lot, so I might as well try. So I just wrote all I want for Christmas is you and then uh, finished up, you know, the writing of it with my then collaborator, Walter A. And uh recorded it and wanted it to feel like a timeless classic, wanted it not to feel like, oh, this is from the 90s or this is from the whatever era, you know what I mean? And so over the years, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And now it really is festive. I saw a video yesterday of like a bunch of Bunch of kids in a club, like jumping up and down, dancing, screaming. All I want for Christmas is you. Like you see them dancing to it. And then all of a sudden they mute the music. The DJ mutes the music and they're like screaming. All I want for Christmas is you. And it is, I get goosebumps thinking of it because I never knew. I was just like, this is what I like. You know what I mean? This is what I want to do for Christmas. I always wanted to have that perfect Christmas. And I wrote about it in my my memoir, The Meaning of Mariah Carey, last year. Like I had had kind of tough upbringing, so we never had a lot of things that most kids have. And I really wanted that perfect Christmas. It was like in my mind. I just always wanted it. And it always got ruined. So now, you know, I, I kind of feel great that people get to... My song is a part of other people's Christmases and it helps me have a festive moment with my family and
1: friends as well. So tell me more about the creation process of the song. And when you do, can you put on some music in the background as you talk? What I did was I said, let me try and
0: get into the Christmas spirit. I was living in this house upstate New York. Actually, I put on It's a Wonderful Life downstairs. You could hear it throughout the house. And I went into this little, like this small room and there was a little keyboard in there, and I started playing. And I'm I'm a terrible piano player, right? Sometimes it'll be a happy accident.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, can you tell me more, but with slightly louder music clips behind you?
0: Whether it's like, you know, the present sound of the Christmas tree, of course. Um, hanging your stocking, the lights, the snow, all those things. My favorite line in the song is, I won't even wish for snow because I always wish for snow. I always want it to be like a special, festive winter wonderland. I always have, and so when I was writing these things down, I kind of like made a list of, of the stuff that I've thought of since childhood and kind of crafted it and turned it into kind of be about a long-lost love. That part is something that I'll always remember. Just the quietness of being there in that room and playing and then writing and kind of changing a Christmas song into a love song back into a Christmas song and kind of making it all one thing. When I got into the studio with Walter A., we came up with a lot of different ideas to make it feel like a classic. I wanted All I Want for Christmas Is You to feel like something I could have grown up listening to. I decorated the studio, it wasn't Christmas time, but I was like, we're gonna get into that vibe. I was standing like in the booth and I would look into the engineer's area and the whole window was outlined with colorful Christmas lights. And it was just transforming the moment whatever time of year, even in the middle of summer. Okay, okay. Now, kick that background music into high gear and tell me what inspired the song. It was really inspired by songs from the 60s or the 50s where you couldn't help but be happy when you heard them. I was trying to do my own version of the wall of sound, those background vocal parts that become almost the lead.
1: Wait a second! (laughs) You're not interviewing Mariah Carey. You're just splicing up interviews she's done with The Daily Show, The Late Show, The Bobby Bones Show, and an Amazon Music documentary. Okay, you caught me. I reached out to Mariah's people, but they never got back to me. It's almost like the seventh most popular Christmas podcast is not on Mariah Carey's people's radar. Well, then why all the smoke and mirrors? You could have just done a normal show. Look, I've done deep dives into famous Christmas artists before on this show, but for me, this one is different. With Bing Crosby and Andy Williams, I didn't really know much of their non-Christmas work. But Mariah Carey burst onto the scene just as I was entering high school. You're so old. Yes, I know. My point is, these were my jams, son. Doing research for this brought back so many great musical memories. So while the music wasn't new to me, a lot of her life story was. And that just made me want to make this episode stand out a bit. And I haven't even gotten to the part of the story where she became such a Christmas icon. Well, you have our attention. Get to talking. Okay. So, when the Christmas album came out, it was a modest hit. Nothing amazing, but right around what you'd expect of a Christmas album. But that song really stuck around. See, lots of artists release Christmas albums, but they just do covers of old classics. But to write a new Christmas song and actually have it stick around is quite a feat. And for ten years or so, the song would come back around each Christmas— And that was a feat in and of itself. But then came the 2003 film Love Actually, which we actually covered on the show a few years back. One of the characters sings a cover of All I Want for Christmas Is You towards the end of the film. And it seemed to remind everyone how much they liked that song. Mariah and her team must have noticed this because they started promoting the song every year at Christmas. She started to really lean into her role as a Christmas staple. She released a second Christmas album, Merry Christmas to You, in 2010. The album featured an extra festive mix of All I Want for Christmas is You, and it also included another original song, Oh Santa, which was released as a single and didn't top the top 100 Billboard charts, but it did hit number one on the adult contemporary charts. Santa.
2: If you get letter, won't you help me out? I know you're kinda busy with your L's right now
1: In 2015, Mariah became a part of another unstoppable Christmas force that hits Christmas by storm every year, the Hallmark Channel Christmas Movies. She starred in and directed A Christmas Melody. That same year, she turned All I Want for Christmas is You into a children's book. That children's book was later made into an animated movie in 2017. All this added promotion of the song each year, combined with the change in Billboard's ranking process to include streaming numbers, led to the song reaching number three in the charts in 2018. When Mariah's fans, aka Lambs, heard about this, they rallied in 2019 to stream the song as much as they could to give Mariah her 19th number one hit. In 2020, Mariah did a Christmas special called Mariah Carey's Magical Christmas Special for Apple TV+, and it was the most popular non-scripted show streamed on that service that year. And she's back again this year with Mariah's Christmas, The Magic Continues, which features yet another new Christmas song, Fall in Love at Christmas, which she performs with Khalid and Kirk Franklin. And every
2: Christmas song.
1: And that's how Mariah Carey went from a little kid whose family kept ruining Christmas to a pop star reluctantly creating a Christmas album to one of the most successful musicians of all time to the queen of Christmas.
0: I just remember where I was coming from as a writer and a producer creating the song and wanting it to feel like a classic and a modern classic. It was an accomplishment for me that I was really proud of.
1: And now it's time to hear from you in Season's Musings. Season's Musings coming through. Can't wait to hear the thoughts sent in by you. All year, I'm asking you questions from this card game that my mom gave me last Christmas called the Christmas Chat Pack. I'm asking you to record your answers and send them in for us all to enjoy. Last time, I put this question to you. What makes a special present to you? And there was definitely an underlying theme to the answers this time. See if you can guess what it is. Let's start with Matt.
3: Merry Christmas, Tim. This is Matt from Seattle, Washington. I wanted to thank you for the 12 gifts you give to us every year before answering your question. Your podcasts are wonderful. You do a great job on them. My, to answer your question, my favorite type of gifts are from my kids. Whether it's a drawing, macaroni glued to a sheet of paper, I just keep that kind of stuff forever. Thank you for everything you do, and Merry Christmas.
1: Thank you, Matt. I totally know what you mean. When your kids make you something, it just hits that magical parent heart-melting button that only your kids have access to. Next up, Benji. Hey, Tim. Benji Pearson here. When I think about the
3: Christmas gifts that have meant the most to me, they tend to be the things that I didn't know that I wanted or didn't ask for, but that the person giving it to me spent
1: time thinking about what I wanted or needed. Those have always meant the most to me in my life. Thanks. Great point, Benji. The thought put into a gift really does make all the difference. Now let's hear from Chris.
2: Hey, Tim. It's Chris Kringle here from Kringle Talks Christmas. I would say the best Christmas present or what makes a Christmas present special is one of those Christmas presents that you kind of like ask for, wish for, but kind of forget about, if that makes sense. So, for instance, you mentioned something back in, I don't know, June or July. And just in passing to your partner or your parents or something and you completely forget about it. And then come Christmas day, you open your presents and right there in the middle of it is that present you asked for, but forgot about. But then when you see it, the nostalgic feeling of, oh yeah, I did want this present. And wow, what a thoughtful thing to give. Anyways, take care. Once again, keep laughing all the way. See you later.
1: Thanks, Chris. That also ties into what Benji was saying. It's the present, but also the thought. And now, let's hear from John. Hello, fellow
2: waiters. This is John from Ohio. Uh, what makes a gift very special to me is always the memories that are attached to the gift. I could care less what it is. It's more important to me that the person giving it to me is uh, somebody I love or they care about me or that the gift was particularly funny or... Something of that nature. And after that, I cherish it for as long as I can. So I have gifts from childhood that uh, I still can't get rid of from Christmas. Because, well, they have wonderful memories attached to them with wonderful people.
1: All right. Merry Christmas, everyone. I know exactly what you mean, John. I have so many clothes that I never really wear, but I'll never get rid of because they were gifts. The little bit of joy I get from remembering that person every time I sort through my closet, it was worth more than the space I'd save in the closet by giving that piece of clothing away. And now, let's hear from Tony.
3: Hello, Tim and fellow waiters. For this month's Season's Musings, you asked what makes a gift special. For me, what makes a gift special is a thought that is put into it. More specifically, a gift that wasn't asked for and that holds special meaning. Truth be told... I love being the one that gives that gift. It's not a task I'm able to complete every year, but as often as I can, I give gifts that weren't asked for and or that hold a special or sentimental meaning. One example that comes to mind is a couple of years before my dad passed away, I was able to borrow my parents' wedding photo that always hung in the hallway, long enough to scan it. It was a very weathered picture, so I popped it into Photoshop and cleaned up all the wrinkles and brought the color back to life. I printed it on nice glossy photo paper and framed it. Needless to say, my mom cried, and my dad, who was a man of few words, was enamored with how it looked. Now, that is the picture that hangs in the hallway.
1: What a wonderful story, Tony. Thank you. I think the theme of this question is really starting to shine through. So finally, let's hear from Monica. Hey Tim and fellow waiters, I hope this is not too late for me to um, give this answer, but um, I could not not answer, and the question was, what makes a really special gift to me? And that's a good question, but it would have to be that someone put some thought, it doesn't matter how big or how small, but some thought on how it would make me happy in some way. So whether or not it's like, I've, I've got gifts for just a really good um, brand of tea that I liked. Um, and that was meaningful for me. So it doesn't matter how much it cost. If it if the person who had given to me, given it to me had thought about, oh, this would make her happy in some way, even even a little way. That to me is what makes a gift really special. Thank you, Monica. Not too late and encapsulating it perfectly. I know it's a cliche to say that it's the thought that counts, but when you really think of the best Christmas presents you've gotten or given, it's the thought put into them that makes them special. So don't break the bank this year. Just spend a little time thinking about what would make the people on your list happy. All right, so this is starting to sound a little bit too much like an ABC After School special, so I wanted to break up the sincerity with some comedy, courtesy of Brian, a.k.a. Captain Slinky, who answered this question a few times on his TikTok, but I'll just play one of them, because I think it's pretty funny.
3: Tim Babb of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast asks, What makes a Christmas gift special? Well, I know to me it's, it's not about... Where you bought it from. It's more about how much you paid. And I want to know that you paid full retail price. Not, not a Black Friday deal. Not a, not an online special.
1: <laughs> just, just that you paid full retail. See what I'm talking about? Thank you, Brian. All right. Now it's time to give you the last season's musings question for 2021. And here's what the card says. If you won $5,000 the week before Christmas, what would you do with the money? It also says be specific and be honest. So for me, my first instinct would be to do something really practical and boring, like replace our refrigerator that keeps breaking down. But my next thought is to do something charitable with the money, and I'm not sure what it says about me that I went to the charity idea second instead of first, but that's a character flaw I can work on after the show. But if I'm keeping my answer fun and Christmassy, I think I'd split it between my wife, my kids, my mom, and myself, but on the condition that we had to spend it Brewster's Millions style. What's Brewster's Millions? Oh, it was a movie where in order to inherit hundreds of millions of dollars, this guy had to spend $30 million in 30 days, but I'd limit us to one day where we all had to spend our share of the money. I think that could be fun. But what about you? What would you do if you won 5K right before Christmas? Record yourself on your phone or laptop and send the file to Tancast.com. What was that? Tancast.com. As always, if you'd like to get this deck I'm using to get the topics for this segment, there's a link in the show notes so you can grab your own Christmas chat pack. And the jingle for the segment featured Deck the Halls by Kevin McLeod, which was used under Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license. And that's our show. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I've got at least one bonus episode in the works for you. And as always, we'll be back early next month since there's no point in waiting until the 25th for another episode. So I will definitely have a new show for you on the 15th of December. So be sure to get your season's musings in early this time. Other than that, happy holidays. I hope you and yours are able to fill them with joy this year. And until next time, you old believers, keep laughing all the way. And that was Christmas, 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2021. Oh.
4: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and email us about it at com. We'll send you a free Can't Wait for Christmas sticker. If you'd like to see the show notes or leave a comment on this or any other episodes, you can go to our official website, can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. While you're there, you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can grab customizable t shirts, ornaments, stickers, and all sorts of other Christmas themed items all year long. We'd love to connect with you on social media. On Facebook and Instagram, we are Can't Wait for christmas pod and on twitter we are at christmas pod we wish you a merry christmas was performed by the united states marine corps band and this amazing version of jingle bells on the accordion was performed by the wonderful and talented christian Nowicki. all other music and sounds used in this episode are the properties of their individual copyright holders and they are used for purposes of commentary and review No infringement is intended. Okay, boys, did I forget anything? God bless us, everyone. Merry Christmas!
1: So, when I stumbled upon this article from Travel and Leisure that had seven tips to travel better this holiday season, according to experts, whew, (coughs) I ran out of air. So, when I stumbled upon this article from Travel and Leisure that had... Is it travelandleisure.com? Is it travelandleisure.com? That is what I am trying to find out. Where is that page? I don't have it up right now because I have so much Mariah Carey pages up right now. There, I have to scroll through all on my phone and my battery's slow. Holy dialing. and I'm why am I singing Mario? And to promote the album, Mariah did a brilliant one-two punch of promotional performances. Whew, that is tough. There is a skunk somewhere near the Christmas cave, and it's a funk. It's skunk funk. I'm recording in a skunk funk. I'm not going to tell- lie to you. It's not great. Also, the heater went on in the middle of me recording, so I had to go turn it off.